and hello. Hello again. Thank you, everyone, for coming by yet again for another Merged Worlds D&D stream. As usual, we will wait a few minutes before we jump into everything, give people a chance to swing by. If you are here, though, thanks for stopping. Appreciate you coming by. Today, if all goes as planned, should be the end of this current chapter of the story, as well as the beginning of the next. I don't think that the ending is going to take but half or less of the time I'm going to stream today, so we will be moving into the next part as well. Hello, Teresa. Thanks for stopping by today. So, pretty excited about this. Um, the end of this chapter, I'm using air quotes here if you're listening on the audio podcast, uh, the end of this chapter was an end to really a big part of the way that the story was progressing in-game. Um, and there was actually going to be a, a decent chunk of real-world time between the end of this chapter and the beginning of the next. And when we start the next part, I'm going to start it first, and then uh, I'll kind of explain why things will be the way they are. It's kind of cryptic, I know, but I don't want to give away anything about the ending so far. So we're going to get into all of that today. Um, I guess I'll start with uh, if you are swinging by and you enjoy the stream today, if you would mind clicking the like button, appreciate that. If you've not subscribed yet, please be sure to do that as well. Where you can see all the videos and streams as they come out. Um, I am in the beginnings of setting up what should hopefully be some actual online D&D content for the channel as well. Um, right now, I'm not saying it's going to be within the next month, especially with everything going on in the world right now. It may be delayed a little bit, but my first thoughts are is to have two active D&D groups or sessions. One of them being a live group that comes to my house. I'll, uh, we'll play for a day. I'll record it all and then edit it and release it in segments. The other one would be actually live playing on stream with a group that um, would be online. So uh, that would open it up for anyone who'd be interested in playing who isn't. And the good part about that ver that one is that um, the stories could be a bit shorter, but um, also allow for other people to switch in and out now and again. Um, the cool part is that all of it would take place on Merged Worlds. So a lot of the places and people that you hear about in the story, uh, there's the potential that you may run into some of them or, or visit some of those locations. And both groups, would, since they're all happening on the same world, there's a chance there could be some overflow from that. So I've got some ideas behind it. I'm uh, floating around right now. I will be, it looks like, moving into 5th edition to do so. Um, I've never really messed with 5th yet, but to make it a bit more, I guess you'd say, pertinent to current crowds, I think it'd be best to play with the most recent version that most people are familiar with. So we'll definitely... Uh, I'm in the process of learning the differences. And uh, once I get that all down, hopefully we can start putting some groups together. Like I said, unfortunately, the current state of things going on in the world, because of the illness and such that's going around, and people just kind of being told not to gather in groups, the online one might be a little easier, at least at first. So, um, let's see. Uh, Punkbuster says, 
Hey, how is your wife doing better? Yes, my wife's doing well today. Uh, she has a seizure disorder, so she has seizures occasionally, and when they do, uh, depending on how bad they are, uh, they can take a little more out of her than others. Um, she used to have them very bad, but she had brain surgery a few years ago, and uh, the surgeries made it much better. She, she used to have multiple of them every day. Now she'll have maybe one a week, every week or two. So it's definitely better, but they can still be a, a rough day for her now and again. But thank you for asking. So I guess um, to recap where we left off last time, um, the two groups had started off separate. Uh, one group was coming south. One was basically going north-ish ish, I say, um, and eventually end up finding this big, bold-out valley, um, which a lot of people said was a lot like a crater, and uh, definitely kind of has that feel to it, um, although I will say it was not a crater. I mean, there's, if it was, it's not important to the story, but for overall design, yes, you could probably picture that, except at the top, it doesn't come to like a sharp edges. It's rounded and hilled, but it is a very, very vast uh, indention into the ground. And the parties had kind of met up there. Uh, they'd gotten back together, talked about what had gone on the adventures, talked about the people they'd met on the way. And then the next day, while figuring out what they're going to do, Flying Castle started coming towards them from the uh, west. And they heard rumblings and the ground shaking a bit. And eventually, as the Flying Citadel is moving towards them, they see an army of creatures beneath it just kind of coming over the the hill in the distance and coming down into the valley towards them. Um, the army itself, I didn't get real descriptive on what they are. I'll do that here in a minute. But as the two groups, which are now our, back to our group of heroes, as they are like, well, I guess we need to get out of here because that's an army and there's like eight of us. We need to get out of here. As they were about to leave, uh, Zoltan, the, the gray man, the demigod that started them on this entire adventure, kind of appeared and said, no, this is where you guys have to make your stand. Um, that The darkness that's searching for the artifacts, the thing that you've been kind of against the whole time, that's it's right up there in that castle. It's coming at you. Um, and they're looking at Zoltan, and they're like, well, that's, you know, that's easy for you to say. You're a demigod. There's eight of us, and probably a couple thousand of them. And by them, the, the group out there, the army as it's coming to work. They're not running. They're very, I mean, they're they're humanoids. They're not like in perfect rows, like a marching, you know, but it's just a group of people or a group of creatures coming towards them. They're not like in a rush, like they're charging at them at this point. Um, but it's a mix of what you would normally consider your common baddies. You know, there's goblins, hobgoblins, bugbears, uh, orcs, you know, um, miscellaneous things in there, maybe a troll or two. Just some other miscellaneous stuff. Um, and from the distance, one thing that they can tell is that they seem to be led by, and when I say led, I mean not like in the front rows, but on horses or, or giving directions, appear to be drow. Now, of course, for some of our characters, that's even more they're looking, but they don't see the drow they're looking for. I'm sure you know who I mean, but... Uh, there seem to be drow disperts in them that are kind of kind of uh, running the group. And they're kind of moving forward. Our heroes are like, you know, that's awesome <laughs> that you want us to make our stand here, but how are we going to fight them? And that's kind of where we 
around the area of where we left off. So uh, I think we'll go ahead and start moving into that. Um, before I do, I will say, if you are new to the story or the stream, I appreciate you coming by. Um, oh, we got a message there. Punk says, sorry, I can't watch your stream live. It's 2 a.m. here. Just want to say hey and show some support. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, that's not a problem. I appreciate you coming by. Uh, yeah, it'll be up here for viewable immediately afterwards. And by sometime in the next 24 hours, it'll be on iTunes as an audio podcast as well. So if you prefer audio. But thanks for stopping by. I appreciate you hanging out. Um, but again, if it's your first time by, uh, sometimes the characters and such I talk about, um, if you want to get a feel for what they look like, if you go to my website, onlydraven.com, at the top there'll be a link that says characters. If you click on that, you'll see pictures of artists, actors, musicians, people that, to me, visually are the person that I imagine. Um, so, for example, Rafe Firemoon, who we've spoken about several times, um, that's to me, that's Thomas Jane. You know, young Thomas Jane is how I've always pictured that character to look. So... Um, that's one of the pictures you'd see there. And some of the villains and such are there as well. So uh, that's a, a great resource. If you are listening to this later as well and you're doing audio, you can go to the website anytime to see the pictures that I've referenced. So, all right, well, uh, we'll go ahead and jump right into there then. Um, so here we are standing at the bottom of this valley, or well, not in the bottom. They're not like speck in the middle of it. They're closer towards the eastern side. They were starting to back up a little bit when they saw this coming. Before the gray man appeared and was like, no, make your stand. And they're like, there's eight of us. What are you, crazy? And, you know, he kind of looks at them and, he's, and he says, um, you won't be alone. Others are coming. It's very cryptic. He likes to speak cryptically. And the uh, party's like, oh, okay. Well, I hope you brought a lot. Because that's a whole army over there. Zoltan states to them, arm yourselves and prepare yourselves for battle. It's time for you to wield the artifacts that you've been struggling so diligently to find. Um, hello, Lexinum. Welcome to the stream. And I do not speak Spanish, so thank you. <laughs> but he, uh, he's like... He's like, he knows you're here and that you have them. Hiding them now will benefit you in no way. So the party, you know, said as, as these, they're marching. It's a big valley. It's not like they're right there. They're, they can see them coming. So they open up their chests of holding and they get out the artifacts that they found. And again, we've not gone into a lot of detail on what they do. For all intents and purposes, from a D&D &D standpoint, um, imagine them just very, very strong weapons, plus like four, plus five, things of that nature. They may have some certain abilities, but nothing that's going to directly affect the story at this point. Um, so I'm not going to go into details on most of them. Uh, but as we continue here, a couple of them are going to get pointed out specifically. So I'll, I'll touch on those when we need to. But the majority of them are just very good. You know, there was, a, there was a throwing axe that when you throw it automatically came back to your hand. You know, there was a hammer that if you hit it on the ground... Um, there's a chance that it would cause tremors. People would, you know, fall over within a certain range. There was abilities like that within some of the weapons, but um, in this certain standpoint, none of those, like I said, have a direct effect on the actual story that we're talking about. And again, I'm leaving those vague for a reason for future future purposes. Um, so they get out their weapons, and everybody's got at least one on them. You know, that's kind of the big thing. Zoltan's like, make sure you all have one armed. You you may need their protections. Like what protections? It's just make sure you've got them. He's being very vague. As the army is 
getting closer towards them, it slows down. You can see that they're coming to a stop. And the flying citadel is above them. It's really high. It's a flying castle. Now, again, to describe this, imagine if someone reached into the ground and scooped up the earth underneath of a castle and then lifted it up. So there's the castle on a chunk of rock, and maybe it's just got pieces of it hanging down, you know, almost like dirt and rock and so on. And as, it, as it's traveling along, sometimes little chunks will fall off. Um, but the more or less piece of ground that it's on is a solid rock, but it's all broken and it's not even or anything of that nature. There's a lot of cool pictures online of flying castles, if you ever want to look one up. Flying citadels. Uh, Dragonlance had some really cool ones uh, in their art. You may want to look at them. So, the castle comes to a stop almost directly above them. The army stopped, say, a football field away. I'll give that as an example, a thousand yards. And you can tell, you know, as it be, the creatures are snarling and laughing and pointing at the eight of them and shouting taunts in their own languages. Some of the characters can speak some of those languages, so they, you know, very inappropriate, but uh, guttural insults and things, um, going to kill you, all that kind of stuff. So that's something that uh, they hear coming at them, but uh, the drow, other than speaking to, basically making these things hold their lines or stay in position, is really the only thing that you're going to see, or that anybody would see them do. They're not addressing the characters. They're almost paying them no heed. And they're dispersed throughout. So it's like a, a big contingent of just them. Most of them are on horsebacks or uh, sometimes even on like a large lizard-like steed. Um, but they're just dispersed throughout the group trying to wrangle things and keep things in line. The characters are like, you know, at this point, resigned to their fate, hoping whoever Zoltan's talking about is going to show up soon. Um, and in fact, they do. So when I was running this as a story, you know, I'd been building up to this for quite a while. Um, and I'd been setting a few things in motions uh, throughout the story that I've seeded in there, which hopefully some of you picked up on. If not, we'll have to fill out anyways. Um, but behind the characters, coming up over the hilltop, um, they, well, they hear noise, obviously. They start hearing sounds behind them as well, which... It's hard. There's thousands of creatures yelling and snarling in front of them. A couple thousand, but there's, they hear loud noises of like hoofbeats behind them. First thought is, are we being flanked? Is this more of the enemy? The parties, you know, looking behind them, in front of them, and a group of horses or warriors on horses come up. It's basically a group of knights, and the group of knights are uh, knights of the light, uh, sometimes known as the light's touch, depending on what the group that you have. But it's, a, it's a, a group of knights that you will hear plenty of in the future. Uh, but knights of the light come up over the hill behind them. Uh, and if you were here for an earlier episode, that's the group that Michael uh, was a knight of. And sure enough, at the front of those, several obviously high-ranked older warriors come up on there. And Michael being there as well, right with them, Michael had brought help. And there's several hundred armed warriors, male and female. I want to clarify that. The knights, male and female, um, all human, though. Knights of the Light are, is, is a human group, um, at least at this point in the timeline. So they all come up over the thing, and you, know, you can see Michael up there, but he's, he's standing next to someone who obviously is in charge. There's one person who definitely has the trappings of next to him, and they can only assume he said that it was his uncle that led the knights, at least in the group that they're in. So that's who everyone's assuming it is. 
Now that's that's coming from the south blah, 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 south east up, if you will. So if you're looking at a circle, if you're looking at the top of the area, right? And I'm going to do this from your point of view. The army's coming from the west, flying citadels, flying over top of them. Party's right here, okay? Coming from the south east up over the cusp of the hill. That's where you see the group of knights. Within moments, another group of warriors on horseback. Uh, most of there's some of them are on foot as well, but these ones are like a, a good group of military come over the hill, and from their banners you can tell that it's the the, the knights of Fire Moon. It's it's Rafe's group. Sure enough, Rafe Rafe is in the, right in the front there. Um, on the horses next to him, you can see Taboric, fully armed out, ready to go. Uh, well, I say armed out. He has one arm. That wasn't meant to be a pun, but, you know, he's got one arm. He's, he's still armed. One-armed Minotaur is still sometimes better than five or six regular warriors, so um, he's he's incredibly skilled. And you see everybody else on there. Smallzius is on there. Uh, Thickaway Tricklebush, their Kender friend, is up there. Um, during the Dwarf uh, Cleric. So the whole group is there. You know, and, and Rafe is, you know, in his suit of armor and such, and he's prepped, and, and you know, they he, he, he kind of, you know, Salutes. It's not the regular salute, but he salutes the party, recognizes them down at the bottom, and then he salutes to the group of obviously the leaders of the Knights of the Light and the Knights of the Light. Same way, they are even this new world. While they've not allied or anything, they know of each other. Rafe, maybe not so much, but Taboric especially. They've, there's been discussion. These are two basically good groups of knights that would have same kind of ideas, um, ideals, and uh, honor and protection and so on and so forth. Uh, so there's a, a respect between the two groups. And, you know, Mercy turns to Zoltan and she goes, how did they get here so fast? They're, they're, it took us forever to get here. And he, he's like, he goes, I called them. He's like, I, I sought out those who, would need, who you would need, uh, those who could help end this for once and for all. And uh, I brought them here course, you know, Tabork and them, not big fans of Zoltan, but, you know, hey, Rafe's out there. You gotta get to him. And that's all they had to say. The whole party, they're gonna get up every night they've got, and they're gonna start marching to Rafe. And they basically come upon Rafe on the, Rafe on the way, hook him up with some gear, and, and he's like, now we gotta go back and help. Uh, same with Michael. You know, Michael and his group of knights were heading back. He runs into his uncle in a huge contingent. They said, yeah, basically this demigod shows up, his uncle says, and says, you are needed. A great force of evil is out there, and your nephew is going to need you. And he guarded up everybody that they could spare, and they started marching as well. Ran into Michael and the group that was with him, and they all joined up together and, and started heading this way as quickly as they could. So timeline-wise, if you're wondering how did they get there so quickly, they were already on marching weeks ago. They just caught up with Michael and Rafe within the past couple of days. Mercy and Artemis, they've got a bit of a bit of a smile now. They're like, okay, these people clearly know what they're doing. You know, um, Artemis knows how competent, you know, Michael and them are. Like, okay, Michael's a great warrior. He's been with us. We can trust him. And uh, the other group's like, okay, we totally know Rafe. We found him. And we all know the stories of Rafe. Great guy. Protects the world. Okay, cool. And he's got Tabork and his homies all here. Uh, so this is going to be a, at least we've got someone at our back. Well, we're still outnumbered. Again, when you throw a trained military group in against, you know, 15, 20 of them against 100 goblins, your military group's going to do better. Goblins fight chaotically. The drow leading them 
adds a bit of concern. The characters were aware of that. Even within the game, they brought that up to me. They're like, hey, they're leading them, so we want to be extra careful here. They may have strategies they don't normally have, which was smart. And Tabork just, or not Tabork, I'm sorry, um, Darsh just nods, and he's like, and he thanks Zoltan, he's like, for, for bringing them, he goes, he goes, this will be a good battle. He goes, he goes, I feel, he goes, I'm feeling uh, mighty competent that our odds are in our favor in this situation. Zoltan, of course, Zoltan almost never shows emotion, very blank face. He's like, he goes, he kind of nods, and he goes, this time will be different. And he kind of looks up to the north. I'm like, what do you mean, this time? We're like, and he just looks up, he goes, this was coming, and I've known this has been coming for a while, although there have been, and he again looks up to the north, he goes, unforeseen developments that I was not expecting. I don't know how that's going to affect the outcome at this point. I don't know if it will help or hurt, but it's too late to stop them now. And Armis is like, well, what do you mean by that? And it's at about that time, if you've been here before, you know what happens when I say about that time. That means something's about to happen. About that time, a noise starts to come from the north. And it's unlike anything anyone had heard. Even the goblins and the orcs, all of them are drawn attention to the north because they're like they weren't expecting this nobody was they're already a little bit unhappy now that they see that up there but you know most of these things are ready to fight and kill and loot and treasure and all that so they're fine with the knights up there they don't really know who the knights are but they'll kill them eat their horses to them it's ah, just more people to kill but this strange noise coming from the north is just getting louder and imagine if you will clanking and crashing and I guess, imagine if you had, uh, let's say, porcelain vases being thrown at walls. At the same time, you hear metal bending and screeching. Imagine almost like some big type of metal robot. It's not a robot. That's not the kind of game I play. But, sound-wise, something like that. You hear like a screeching, you hear metal clanking and tinking, all sorts of different hues of it, and higher and lower tones, and noise and noise, just clanking, and everyone... From the good orders of the knights to our characters to the, everything, almost like a hush falls over the valley as everyone's just looking north as this noise is building to a crescendo. Because again, remember, they're in a valley. It's up over the hill. They can't really see what's coming that direction. And as he thinks, it's get louder and louder and then all of a sudden it stops. And a lone figure comes walking up over the hill. Small in stature and looking around slightly confused. The pot on his head swinging back and forth. He looks down at the group and starts waving frantically. Hey, Figgy. Moog is standing there with his little hammer in hand. His pot on his head. Big smiles on his face. And he starts to walk down a little bit, then stops and turns around and looks behind him and starts yelling and waving like this. And then just starts running down the hill. And then like a wave, 
hundreds of gully dwarves just come swarming over the hills. Wrapped in whatever they could get a hold of. Pots, pieces of metal strapped to their chest, holding pipes, broken speed limit signs. Ceramic dishes strapped to their body, not quite understanding plate mail. But understanding a little bit of what that might mean. Anything they can get, buckets, mops, literally just mops, broken sticks. Many of them holding hammers and such, much like Moog. Bent pipes. Literally hundreds of them start rushing over the hill in a, cha- in, a, in a charging challenge to the forces below. Everyone's shocked. But without missing a beat, they just start tearing down towards the other army. A big booming laugh comes from behind the characters, and he look back up again to the Knights of the Light, to the man that they can only assume is Michael's uncle. And you see him turn to the rest of his knights, and he goes... Well, come on, men. We can't let all you little buggers have all the fun today, can we? Drawing his sword, they start charging down. Rafe and his knights charging down as well. The enemy just starts tearing towards in every direction, and the heroes caught in the middle of it get pulled right in. And literally with the sound of like a wave hitting a, a rock face, all of the groups just come together, and a giant battle begins. Thousands of them fighting all under the shadow of this flying castle, which is just kind of hanging out there. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail of the individual fights that were happening, but our characters are doing well. They're well-trained uh, throughout the fights. Many times they see each other, you know, we'll see Rafe and Tabork back-to-back, because they've always been good fighters together. Working together, um, the Dwarven Cleric, during casting his spells and the earth shaking or launching up, because again, he's an earth cleric, causing goblins and stuff to go flying everywhere. But even then, having to duck from the arrows from the orcs and the drow, the drow using poison orcs, that's their poison arrows, as they are wont to do, uh, always a concern. But the big fight goes on, and all around rushing through their feats are gully dwarves who don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They've only had a minimal of explanation from Moog, and the best they can understand is they're supposed to smack things. And so they're just running through feet, hitting and smacking and tripping both sides of the army. People falling and unfortunately taking a large amount of the uh, damage from the other army are the gully dwarves as well, because they just don't know how to protect themselves. Being small and quick helps, but ducking in around the feet, tripping, getting in horses, and so on, it's, it's, it's just chaos. This does not resemble any type of an organized battle in any way. As it's going in and out, one thing that does happen uh, that's important is that both Michael meets up with Dandy again, and they begin to fight together. Um, Several of the other knights that are under his control are, are backing them, so it's Michael and Dandy and several, and very much so, without having to speak, they're literally fighting their way to Drow. Looking for one in particular, but blaming them all. And anytime they can get close, their, their group is to try to take out the Drow. A, because they have their own personal vendetta here, but B, with any situation, take out anybody who's controlling it, the commanders, the leaders, you're, you're going to cause more chaos in the enemy, and Michael knows that as well. Michael's very trained, He's very, very good at the strategy stuff. 
So that battle's going on. Um, Dandy tossing him one of the magical artifacts was a sword. And he starts using that. At another spot, Rafe and all them meet up with Mercy. And Mercy again, giving Rafe one of the magical artifacts. Because at this point, they've gathered a bunch of them. Sometimes they're carrying two. And it's like, okay, I'm powerful, but even I can't use both of these at once. Let me put this in the hand of somebody who can do just as much damage. And from a D&D point of view, Rafe is multiple levels higher. Tabork and them greatly dwarf our characters when it comes to their levels and such. They're not like 20s and 30s, but imagine like our group is around 5s and 6s. They're 10 to 12s. So just to kind of give you, from the uh, spec point of view, where we're looking at. So like twice as much as them, way more experienced. And that happens. And they're fighting, and everything's going on. And I believe at the time, there were a couple uh, random cameos from classic D&D lore that popped up in there. But over time, I've kind of weeded those out of the story just to, you know, I, I felt bad for using other people's characters. But at the time, the characters that were playing liked it because they were getting to see people they'd read about in books, so... Lex is a true teammate there. Yeah. <laughs> so that battle's going on. And it really feels like they're starting to win. You know, even in the chaos, the two night groups are still maintaining, you know, order in their groups. Uh, the Gully Dwarfs makes it hard for everybody because they're trying not to hurt them, which ends up sometimes being more of a deficit to the knights than anything else. Is there a cameo from Stan Lee, Lex asks. <laughs> there was not, no. But this was this was well before the Marvel movies. Had, you know, now you've given me that, I have a feeling like I need to work that in somewhere. But no, up to this point, there was never a Stan Lee cameo. But that would be hilarious. That is something I'm going to remember for later. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> um, but, you know, the battle's going on. But they're trying not to hurt the Gully Dwarves. Um, and the Gully Dwarves just not sure what's going on. You know, they can tell which ones are the nasties and which ones are not, but in the middle of it, you know, sometimes they've got buckets over their eyes, they can't see anything, they're just swinging a broom handle. Who knows who they're tripping or knocking over there, so... Problems for everybody. But while this is going on, the side of our heroes and their allies are slowly winning. Very slowly, but you can tell that they're starting to, you know, close in all the classic terms. Flanking, you know, so on and so forth. And then there's a sound in the sky like thunder. Because it's not thunder, but it's like thunder. Because there's no clouds. And it's coming from the citadel itself. Now, Zarin, who's been popping his spells, but trying to be very conservative with them, he's, of course, there hasn't been a lot of magic coming from the other side except for from some of the drows. So fortunately, it's been a very melee-heavy, and he's been mostly using sling and stuff, trying to stay back and more of a protected with the knights and such. Because Zarin's like, hey, I'm not going to be really good in your hand-to-hand. -hand. I'm also short, and I don't need to be tripped up by gully dwarves. So he's doing that. Artemis is trying to heal who she can, and she also has spells that are a bit more offensive, like blessings and things that help boost the allies. And in situations like this, very, very helpful when everybody around her is is you know getting enlightened just by that, that, that type of magic, um, they fight better, they're more, they're faster, things of that nature. Uh, Mercy, side by side with her, 
Mercy's not does not let Artemis out of her sight. Very protective of her. The same way with Shadow and Willow. Shadow and Willow are side by side. Shadow's trying to do as much damage again while protecting Willow. Willow's using things like spells to make the grass wrap around enemies' feet and the earth shake and things of that nature. Uh, there's not a lot of animals here, so it's not like she's summoning them in bears, but she's still doing what she can while also trying to heal allies as she can as well. And that's what Artemis is doing. Um, Darsh just tearing through people. Um, <laughs> literally. So at some point, drops a weapon, he'll just literally tear through somebody. Um, but he's, he's, he's very much just cleaving a path. So a lot of the knights seeing this are, are kind of using him as a wedge. He's just, a lot of the enemy are fleeing in front of him, and they're using it as a way of trying to break through some of the enemy's groupings. Now, this is a lot of talk here, but it was built up over time. I'm trying to give, a, give everybody a feel for the, 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 the level of this. A lot of times when I'm running a big battle in-game, there will be individual situations where I'm like, okay, your character, you see this person who's obviously more powerful than the regular coming at you, you guys are going to do a one-on-one fight. Or you have you and your three allies are about to fight this and these three allies in the middle of this battlefield. And they'll fight that out. But a large part of it is just me saying, this is what's happening. Much like I'm telling you, is much how I'm explaining the battle to them. Um, unless it's a situation where someone will be directly affected by something specific, like you lose an arm or something. They're, they're in there and they get to be involved in how that works. Um, but for overarching, it's more of a descriptive as I'm doing with the story. But as that booming is heard, Darsh is, reaches out to grab the throat of a goblin in front of him, and as he does, he sees his hand just kind of go through him, like it's an illusion. And the creatures look shocked as well, because he, you know, you see a hand coming at you that's as big as your head. You're like, well, I'm dead. And it just goes, and, they, and then everything starts to fade away. All the other people are seeing the same situation. Their weapons are now just going through them. And at first they're like, is everything here an illusion? Until they realize that everything is fading around them. And everything goes dark. And as the light comes back up, they're no longer on the battlefield. They have just been basically teleported into the citadel above. Now, they're in a very large, round room. Which was clearly some type of important room in this citadel. The, f- the ground of their feet is like metal girding. And I say that, imagine, if you've ever been on a fire escape where it's like the th- like thin strips of metal that are crisscrossing, so it's like a grid. So they can see the battle going on beneath them. They can hear all the noise. It's sturdy, even, you know, and, this, and it's, the, it's so tight, there's no holes, your feet aren't going to go through. But they can literally see beneath them. From looking at this, it's probably that this citadel at some point had some type of like arena or something beneath them that people up top would just sit down and watch people fight for their enjoyment. But that part didn't come through when this got ripped out. So the rock that comes down is actually hollowed in the center. And it goes right up to this. And they're looking just down on the battle beneath them. It's a large room. Looking around to see what's happened. Of course, they all see each other. All of our characters are there. As well as... Rafe is there. As is Michael. And a couple other of the miscellaneous characters that are named characters. Like Tassel or uh, Thickaway and such. And looking around, it's very easy to see that everyone who's there 
is someone who has one of the artifacts. So nobody else was brought up. But since all of our heroes, all eight of them, have artifacts, and they gave one to Michael, and Rafe took one at one point, they get pulled up in there as well. Now describe this room in a bit better. Around three quarters of the room are literally like seats, almost like you'd say bleachers. It's rounded, like a coliseum. Again, people used to watch through this grid to whatever was happening beneath. And then on the other side, right across from them, on a slightly elevated dais, is a grand throne. Old banners hanging behind it that are mostly rotted away. Clearly not new. But on that opposite side of the room, per se, there are several creatures standing there. And the majority of them are drow. You're going to see, there's probably, I want to say there was like 12 or 13 drow there. Just drow. One of them being the drow that Dandy and Michael have been looking for for a little while. Well, I mean, the whole group was, but them specifically. There's also a couple of other people standing there. One of them is a minotaur. But unlike any minotaur you may have ever seen. Black. The spots of gray. You can tell it's an older minotaur. Standing up at the dais almost in a bit in shadows. Because it's lit mostly by torches. Imagine that even though it's a bright day outside, you're inside of a big room. There's no big windows looking out of this chamber. So it's mostly the torches that are around the ceiling and such. And a, a large chandelier above the floor. That's kind of giving its light. And the minotaur steps forward with a little bit of a, a stagger to its walk. And very quickly they can see this minotaur has been dead for a while. Its eyes are solid white. Pieces of its skin and hair are just falling off. But it hasn't shrunken. It's still bulky. It's still got muscle. And it's wielding a huge two-handed sword. And around its head is a golden crown. And they can see a couple of gems embedded into it. One in the center, one on each side. Different color. What color? We'll talk about that later. But the thing moves not like a mindless creature, but as something is in control of its own body. This is something that is an intelligent undead. And as it staggers forward, mostly because of a huge wound to its leg, that it does not seem to be phased by, other than the balance issue, it steps forward off the dais and takes a step down. Immediately, they're thinking, wow, this is a bad guy. This is this must be the darkness. This because that's a obviously powerful thing in front of them. Now behind that dais are old curtains of a red, and they're very all around the room. There's these curtains close to the wall. And the curtains part, and a figure walks out. They say that no one can hurt you quite as badly as someone you love. Brother, more times than I can count, have you proven that true? No matter how many times I've tried to keep you out of the way, to keep you from harm, you still keep placing yourself 
right in front of the path I have to take. Why against me? You know that I'm only going to make things better. And that what was Nylad comes into the light. Now, they could tell very quickly something's wrong. While Nylad is standing there, clearly in some type of physical form, parts of him seem to almost fade, if you will, to like a shadow. Like imagine if you're looking there and half his head becomes more of like a dark shadowed silhouette and then comes back. And parts of him are doing that. Maybe it's just a shoulder, maybe it's a whole arm, then a leg, and it's, he's not falling over, it's clearly still there, but parts of him are fading kind of into a dark void and then back again. And yes, Neon, you're correct. That does sound like Kaborik, father of Tabork, who is not up here. Tabork did not get a weapon. I don't think. No, Tabork did not. Tabork is not up here. But Kaborik clearly died in that original battle, which Tabork said that they believed they'd killed him. Um, but Nylad has power. Rafe, looking at his brother in horror, but at the same time not shocked, more saddened. Too many have lost their lives to your greed and hunger for power. I love you too, brother. But I will always stand between you and those people for as long as I live. Nylat smiles. Parts of them are still visible as they fade in and out. He goes, if there's one thing I'll say for you, brother, you have not changed a bit, nor would I have thought you would. I respect that. Your convictions are as strong as they've always been, but so are mine. I'm just saddened that once again our goals must collide. Sorry, I keep taking drinks here. A little dry throat today. Nylat reaches to the sheath on his waist and draws a sword. Clearly one of the artifacts. But in the pommel of this sword is a bright red gem. As he takes it out, he just rubs it. And every one of our characters suddenly cannot move. You should have warned them, Grey Man, Nylat says. Not able to move, the group can see out of the corner of their eyes Zoltan walk to the side of the room. He says, I told them all that they needed to know. Nylat sneers. He goes, always putting other people into play, doing your work for you. What does it matter if they die? what they lose as long as you get these cursed weapons back. Well, you're not going to have them. You didn't get them last time and you won't have them this time. I'm going to take them and I'm going to finish what I started. And instead of unlocking this world so that your petty gods can return, I will be the only god left on this world that's been created. The only god they'll need and I will set things right I will put them the way they should have been from the beginning. 
allies are struggling to move, but they can't. Nothing's... Nihilat, still up on the dais next to the throne, kind of leaning against it. He didn't tell you that the artifacts themselves can be controlled by certain other artifacts, as can the people wielding them. Right now, none of you, nor my allies, have any ability to move. I can walk up and slit each of your throats, and there's nothing you can do about it. Because this sword, the Sword of Minds, lets me control your minds as long as you have one of the artifacts. And I can see that you have almost all of the ones I'm missing. All except for one. But I'll find the ring later. It shouldn't be that hard. I'm not surprised you haven't found it. If you had, you'd have been a fool not to wield it directly at me. But that's okay. With your artifacts and these, I believe that's enough for me to be able to complete my spell that you, brother, interrupted the first time and made this happen. Trapped between this world and the next. A step from godhood, but still trapped to the mortal, breathing, crawling out of that cave. Fortunately, I found my new allies here, and they recognized power. And so now they serve me, and they will be well rewarded. But time is short. My army down there is already being picked apart by your friends. I will deal with them in a moment. But first, I'm going to take those artifacts, and I'm going to end your lives. And then smiling at the Sultan, he says, and once again, you can't do anything but just watch. Inside, all the characters are like screaming and fighting as hard as they can, but they just can't move. As long as not sitting there, just basically caressing the gem on the pommel of that sword. But there is one sound that happens. From behind the curtain, not far from him, a small voice yells, No! You leave my figgy alone! Startled, Nylat begins to look for where the sound came from as a small shape comes bolting out of the curtains with the little hammer that was given to him. And with all of his strength, brings it crashing down on Nylat's foot. It's the sound of a small crunch as his toe bone shatters. In shock more than anything, Nylat screams. And reflexively, takes the sword in his hand and runs it through the little gully dwarf's chest. Zoltan just nods. And looking down at the little gully dwarf, Nylat's shocked as the sword falls from his hand. 
when he tries to pick it up, he's not able to. It's like something is keeping him from touching it. And there's a pop noise. And suddenly everyone is able to move again. Everyone's shocked, but has control of themselves. It takes a moment to realize what's happening, all except one. Without a thought, Fig just charges that dais. And then the battle kicks off. Drow, Kabork, the undead Minotaur, charge forward. Fig just wants to get to his boy, but he's got these things in front of him, and he's not going to let much stop him. His eyes, almost literally looking like they're about to bleed, goes into a pure berserker rage and just starts literally tossing himself at the drow, who, very sound fighters, never seen anything quite like this. Because no matter how many times they slice or cut or stab him, he feels nothing. And he'll just take the sword and pull it out of their hands before crashing and breaking a wrist with his hammer. He just starts barreling through the best he can. Immediately, Zarin begins a spell. He's really the only other offensive magic user up here right now, and he knows that Nylot's out of his league, but Nylot's a little bit confused, because as he's trying to pick up that sword, there's like a spark or a pop, and he can't get close enough to touch it again. It's still sitting there through the young gully dwarf's chest. Artemis wants to get over there and try to heal him, but there's literally a battle between them. So she's trying to basically heal her allies and give blessings and such as they're trying to fight the enemy. Now, while Fig may be doing a serious damage to any of the foolish drow and occasional orcs or goblins that come charging in, into the room as well, because they're worse in the wings, the same effect is happening on the other side with Kaborg. No matter what damage they do to him, stabbing, slicing, whatever, it's like it, it has no effect whatsoever. And he's just as strong, if not stronger, than Darsh. Darsh takes the forefront of that, and they start fighting. But while Darsh is actually a bit more skilled in combat, and he's getting in hits, and he's got Michael at his side stabbing, as well as um, Shadow, who dual-wielding is just like a blender. Kaborik is unfazed. And for every 10 hits he takes, he scores one back. But his hurt. The battle rages on. In game time, of course, several things are going on. Willow's casting what spells she can. Artemis is casting. Zarin is trying to... At this point, he's trying to focus now towards Kabork. As much as he wants to get Nylat, Nylat's starting to get angry. And you can hear him screaming with rage. And he reaches over to one of the drow and pulls a blade out of the sheath because there's a drow like laying there near him. And then he starts coming in and starts to charge. And Rafe, of course, makes a beeline for him. And the two brothers start fighting it out. Shadow thinks, maybe if I can take out the leg of this minotaur, he'll fall. He's undead, but he's still got balance. He's not going to hop around on one leg. So he starts focusing on legs as much as he can. And even though he's slashing off rotted meat and a tufts of hair, none of, his, none of his attacks are going through bone. It's clinking off the bone, and the bones are almost like solid, like stone or steel. 
none of his blades, which normally would cut through or at least crack it or having any effect on the bones, no matter how much meat they hew off it. Darsh and Michael again trying to fight and do that. Shadow tries to move behind him. Thinking maybe try to get him off balance, do some damage on the back. And Kaboric starts swinging his two-handed sword, kind of a figure-eight pattern, trying to block the weapons and the other heroes switch back. And Kaboric makes it look as if he's going to swing towards Darsh. Darsh prepares to parry the blow, but Kaboric instead steps back and swings wide. And his sword cuts a large gash right in and through Shadow's chest. You can just see the flesh peel as the blade cuts deep across his ribline. And with such strength, rotting or not, Kaboric is strong as hell. And Shadow literally goes flying backwards to the ground. Willow calls out, of course, but she can't get close. He's in the middle of the drought at this point. We're just basically walking over him while trying to deal with Fig, <laughs> who's being a hassle, and Mercy as well, because they're trying to get to the clerics. They're not stupid. They want to get to the magic users as well. But Mercy and them, they're basically trying to defend those while everybody else is trying to take out this Minotaur. And they're fighting, and it just goes on and on. And each time they're fighting, they're getting hurt. They're taking out some of the enemy, but they're not able to hit the big one. And that's the Kaborg. And so... At one point, a drow shoots an arrow. Um, it hits Willow in the in the shoulder. And she goes flying back unconscious. She's trying to heal herself, but whatever's on it is very poisonous, and so she's trying to deal with that. Um, again, one of the drow having some magical abilities is casting a spell Zarin, and that one are firing it back and forth. And Dandy's just in there with Michael, trying to deal with Kaboric. And then she's looking around, and as she does, she you know she's looking for avenues and what she can do because she's trying to be sneaky. Maybe I can get around and so on. And she sees Zoltan just standing by the side with his arms crossed. She's pretty pretty irritated about that. And as she looks, he just takes his hands down and he wipes his forehead, and then stands still. Dandy's like, "It's not that hot in here, you sweaty bastard." actually what she said at the time. <laughs> and then she stopped and she's like, it's not that hot in here. And demigods don't sweat. And she starts looking around. He can't directly affect things. And then it hits her. She takes a few steps back and then just runs and jumps. Tabork tries to slash her, but she slides between his legs. And as he's about to turn around, Michael's there fighting at him as well. And as this is going on, they're fighting, and all this is battling, and people are dropping, including some of our friends. Nilat, still incredibly powerful, and a hell of a swordsman himself, more than holding his own against Rafe, scores a good cut on Rafe. Nilat's been out and healed more. Rafe's still getting over his wounds, still dealing with that. Artemis did a good job, but he's tired. For him, he just fought a big battle, fell asleep, woke up immediately, and was in another big battle. Everyone else has had like a year of time of this world existing. Now it's starting to get the edge on him. Dandy, jumping as hard as she can, grabs the back of Kaboric's cloak and starts climbing up his back. 
Minotaur takes a swing at her, but at the same time, he's still fighting Darsh, who he does get a good cut in. Big cut down Darsh's arm. And Michael, he knocks, backhands him. Michael, dazed for a minute, but then gets up back in combat. Darsh, his, drops his artifact weapon. It was, I believe it was, he rolled a one, if I remember correctly. And at that point, decides he's going to use his horns for a gore attack, because that's something Minotaurs can do. And he tries to stab the other Minotaur in front of him with his horns, because Kaborg is taller than him, which is a lot. So he's like, man, get him in the neck kind of thing. But as he goes to do that, Kaborg grabs his, grabs his horn with one hand and just snaps it. And the top half of one of Kaborg's horns breaks. And Darsh falls backwards. Dandy is now up on the creature's shoulders. And she whips out her little dagger, which for the record was the, one, the artifact dagger she was wielding. And she just pops it up underneath that crown, and it like cuts into scalp and everything. And she, with all of her strength, flips up. And as she does, the crown goes flipping off and hits the ground. Kabork screams in anger tries pushing everyone away to get to it. In this brief moment, Fig, seeing all this going on, sees this flipping in the air in front of him and hits the ground and rolls and without a second thought, takes his hammer and just brings it down on that crown and the crown shatters. But when it does, a magical force is released an incredibly powerful magic force. That was not a weak magic item there. And he's using a magic, his special hammer that was made for him, which was blessed. The only reason he was able to do it. And he cracks that, and as it shatters, he's thrown backwards. Everyone is hurled. And the light becomes blinding. And then there's a cracking noise. And the castle begins to crumble. And it tilts very slowly. From beneath, the noise is loud. The cracking and the booming and the flash of light where everybody on the battlefield, good, evil, everyone stops for a moment and looks up. And they see a big chunk of the rock that's holding the castle break off and start to fall. Yeah, you can imagine that. Like a meteor just slowly falling off, falling and crushing everything beneath of it. And everybody starts to run. Because as that castle starts to tilt fast, they can see that it's coming down. So all of the forces of evil racing away. The knights trying to get out from underneath of it. The gully dwarves, all they see is people running. They know it's time to scurry and it's time to get for cover. They have that much self-preservation. And they run. And above them, the flying citadel comes crashing down. As it hits the earth, the building shatters. Chunks go everywhere. The rock literally hits so hard that it digs into the earth. Dirt flung up in the air all around it. And oddly enough, that's where the story ended.
And that may sound kind of anticlimactic. What happened to everybody? Well, to be completely honest with you, after that night, the group that was playing these characters fell apart. Um, for personal reasons, several of them kind of bumbled out and never came back to play again. And everything kind of kind of came to a standstill there. And I never really told them what happened because I always wanted to play that again, get that group back together. And we do, but it takes a while. In the time between that, some of them had other characters. We had some new people come in. Other stories and adventures happened in the merged world universe, on merged world, that helped flesh it out in other areas. But it was almost two years, almost to the day, before this story got to continue, and I was able to keep going. I was still building it. Everything else I was building in that time with the other adventures on Merged World, I knew was adding lore for this story, because I was going to make it happen eventually. But that's how that chapter actually came to an end. But we're only halfway through the stream. So we're going to jump ahead two years, and we're going to keep telling the story. The other stuff I just mentioned, the side stories, some of that's going to come up a little bit later, and we'll definitely find out more about that. But this main story has always been the, the primary storyline that has been fueling merged worlds ever since the worlds merged themselves. And so we are definitely going to continue with this story. I just need to let you know why it stopped the way it did, and that was also going to help explain how it starts up again. So I'm going to take one more drink, and then I'm going to go into the next part. But before I do, does anyone have any questions about anything that's happened so far? Or need any clarification on any, who anybody is or what so on? I'm happy to try to address them if it doesn't give away the story. I'll give you guys a minute to see if there's any questions. If you're watching this later, feel free to throw that down in the comments section. If you're listening to it on iTunes, you can go to onlydraven.com. On the very front page, down at the bottom, is a place you can fit, submit feedback or questions or anything you have there. Um, and I will do my best to answer them as soon as I can. So, just letting you know. So, two years goes by, right? In our lives. You know, in the character's life, maybe not so long, maybe longer. We're going to address that. But when everything did finally come back together again, it was not the entire group. It was half of them. Um, which was okay. It'll make sense later. But when they came, we decided to start playing again, they were under the assumption they were going to be coming to my house to roll new characters. They were very surprised. Neon says, The ring comes up later, right? Also, it's been a while since we talked about the weird passage of time. Yes, the ring does come up. And, um... And I can give you a bit of this here, and I explain why that happened, because it's gonna you're going to find that out here in just a minute anyways. But there was there's one artifact that's always existed that Rafe and Nylaton, of course, knew about, but the characters didn't know what each one did. There's always been one artifact, and that was a ring. And the ring's only power is it made you immune to every other artifact. That's all it did. Is that literally, if you try to stab them, or you try to do anything with the artifact, it would normally make you immune to them, ex 
except sort of minds because they've never had ever come into contact before. They'd never been in opposing. So no one knew what would happen with that one. The sword that's supposed to be able to control all and the one that's supposed to be immune to all, there has always been a prophecy thing that one day when they collide, something bad was going to happen. But who would win? Would it be the sword or would it be the ring? Moog was always trying to show Fig the shinies that he gathered in the, the, the castle down under the ground. And he'd found the ring. Now, because it's immune to everything else, it was immune from everything. It can't even be magically detected. The party didn't even know he had it. The amulet that they use won't point towards it. It can't find it. That's why even Nylot didn't know it was there. But when he casts a spell to teleport everybody up who had one, he's not targeting the ring, he's just targeting people. And so it teleported little Moog up there as well. But Moog, immediately as a gully dwarf, hid. There's scary things up there. But he was wearing the little ring he found because he wanted to show Figgy his shiny. So multiple times did I bring up the shinies, and Fig's like, yes, they're pretty. I'll, I'll come back. You can show them to me later. But he had found the ring in the room where the artifacts were when he was casting the spell. With the other piece of broken glass and shiny little coins that he found, and he put them in his little bag, and he'd been carrying the ring ever since. So that's what the ring did. So, while the ring is immune to the sword, and the sword is immune to the ring, the bearer, bringing those into opposed, literally at that point, once the blade entered his body, Moog was the bearer of both. And at that point, they were just literally magically fighting each other for control. And that's why no one could touch anything. That's why no one could... Because when they tried to get over and heal Moog, during that battle, there was a point where they were trying to heal him from a distance with some of their healing spells. It was having no effect. They couldn't get through because the ring and the sword were literally fighting to see which one was going to be triumphant in that battle was going on. But it was never resolved before the Citadel fell. Now we'll go ahead and carry on. <laughs> so, with the two years of our lives going by, everyone, the, the two, uh, two ladies who were playing some of the characters came over, prepared to roll new characters, but instead, I surprised them with something a little different. Turned all the lights off. I had them sitting in the dark. And I began to tell them a story. You are everywhere and nowhere all at once. There is no pain. There's just peace. It's always been this way, and yet it feels all new. Everything is nothing. Suddenly, you hear a sound. A, a voice calling out. You can't quite make out what it says, but you feel drawn to it. So you endeavor to move closer. It's right in front of you, but forever away, an infinite distance. The sound seems more urgent. You know it's calling to you. You try to rush faster and faster towards it. You know that if you don't get there in time, you may never hear it again. And you want to hear it. You want to know what it's saying. With every ounce of strength you have, you rush towards it as much as you can. 
until you're surrounded by it. Cascading lights and sounds envelop all around you. And there's a pop. And you feel pain. Mercy heard herself groan. Her whole body hurt and was stiff and sore. There was a weight on her chest. It was dark. She felt weak, but she had to get up. And she did all she could, push the weight off. And after a while, it finally shifted enough that she could scoot to the side. And she felt stones and other sharp things ripping against her back. She was doing it, cutting her, but she had to get out. Finally, starts to pull herself up, head hits something. She realizes that she's in a space that's not that high, but it smells musky and dusty. It's pretty much dark, but there's almost in a bit of a distance, a little bit of light, and she starts trying to climb through, and she's climbing through rubble, and she feels herself climbing up and out. And she can start to f- smell fresh air, which is good, because she's just tired. She's doing everything she can, and she feels herself getting weaker, and she finally can see the sunlight and she's pulling rocks aside and she's trying to pull herself out of this hole, this ground that she's in and she feels something grasp her wrist and pull. And she is looking right at Darsh's chest because Darsh is a very tall guy but he pulls her out. She can see that his fur is caked with dust and dirt, dried blood. His clothing and armor he wore is basically just gone. It's fallen apart, shredded. Looking down at herself, she's basically wearing scraps. Mercy's never been a modest person. She adjusts herself a little bit, but she'll deal with that later. Looking around, she just sees busted rock and metal and stuff all around her. She goes to speak, but her voice is just dry. She can barely get anything out. Darsha's like, given a moment, it'll get better. Mercy gives herself a minute of rest and nodding she's okay to go. She whispers, where are we? Darsha's like, I don't know. He goes, I woke up, climbed out of the rubble, and then I heard you. We look around a little bit. So you can see that on the rock around them, there's grass growing up and around in between it. They start making their way out of these ruins that they're standing in. And they hear a noise from the other side of a piece of what was a wall. Looking at each other, still weak and sore, they try to go quietly. Who knows what else is out here? As they come around the corner, they see Dandy helping Artemis walk. Artemis is very shaky, but Danny's helping her move. Mercy and Darsh, of course, rush up to them, startling them a bit, but then they're really excited, and Dandy's extra excited to see Darsh, because that's her very bestest friend. And gives him a big hug and stuff, and even Darsh, and she looks up, and she doesn't want to say anything, but she's like, what happened to your head? And Darsh reaches up, and he feels the horn and the half horn that's on the other side, the left side, broken because his came out and then almost 90 degreed up and the left one snapped at where the bend was 
He sighs and shakes his head a little bit. Not something he wanted to happen. Where are we? asks Artemis. What happened? She's like, I, I don't exactly remember. I remember we were fighting. And then there was a noise. Dandy said, we broke the crown. I threw the crown and Fig broke it. And then everything went bright and then everything hurt. And then I woke up covered in dirt. He goes, I, she goes, I rhymed. And they're like, yeah, not now, Dandy. Maybe I can help fill in some of the spaces. Says Zoltan. He's such a prick. They all turn and they see him sitting on a piece of rock, but for the first time his face is showing some emotion. He looks tired. He actually looks like he's in a bit of pain. Darsh snickers a little bit, like figures. I hope it hurts a lot, whatever the hell's going on. Darsh not a big fan. Where are we? Where's everybody else? What's happened? Why do you look like that? Why does he look like that? Dandy just goes on a stream of questions. Why does that happen? Why is this grass up to my waist? What happened to all my pouches? Have you seen my hoop hat? Shakes his head. And he's like, I need a moment. I'm very drained. Artemis says, but you're a demigod. What has taken so much out of you? We're sore, because we just climbed out of the dirt. Were you under there as well? He says, no. It's taken me six months to find what I needed. And then it took me another four to figure out how to use it. But ten months ago, this citadel fell to the ground. And you all were inside of it. And you're like, so we were... We were asleep under there? Danny's like, that's a long time to sleep. He says, no, you were dead. But your soul couldn't move on. This field, this source of energy that locks this new world in place won't let the gods in. It will not let souls out. Your soul was just trapped. I was able to find you and bring you back, though the cost was great. Artemis goes, where's everybody else? Did you bring back the others too? Are they in there? Do we need to dig them out? Zoltan shakes his head. He goes, I couldn't find them. I found you. I found your bodies here. And I left them where they were because I knew they were safe until I was able to bring you back. And I was able to track down your souls. This is a large world. And there's a lot of free roaming there. And you're trapped between it and the next. But I could find no trace anyone else's bodies or their souls I will be honest I don't know where they are are they alive says Dandy because I don't know they could have passed on he goes not to be but honest with you it's possible their bodies were completely destroyed and their souls are somewhere out there and I just couldn't find them they could be walking around fine I don't know and to be honest with you at this moment it's the weakest I've ever been in the infinite years that I've existed I've almost spent all of my power just to bring you four back. And again, I have to stress, it took a lot to do that. And it's not something I'd be able to do again. Things were traded. 
that can't be done again. But I need you. Darsh is like, to hell with you! All of this is because of you. My body hurts. I'm sore. I've never hurt this bad. And now you're telling me I've been dead for almost a year? And now you... Yeah, I appreciate you brought me back. Thank you for that. I wouldn't have been dead if you hadn't have taken me there in the first place. Gave, giving us a little bit more warning. And now you want us to help you. He goes, no, I want you to help me help you. And help everyone else. We're still in the same spot we were before. I don't have the artifacts. If I can get the artifacts, I can fix the world, and then maybe you guys can get home. That's what you still want, isn't it? Uh, Lex says, I can see the scene. Well, I found the girls. Let's bury them again, and I'll be back later. Very, very much like that. It's basically three ladies and Darsh. Now, again, this group exists because the two people who were playing, one of them plays Darsh, and Artemis, and the other one plays Dandy and Mercy. That's why these four came out. And I'll tell you what, to be honest with you, couldn't have been happier about the way that worked out. But they didn't know we were going to continue the story. They thought they were going to start new characters that day until I walked them through the, what we just went through, and then I handed them new copies of their old character sheets, because I still had all the old ones. I'm like, so now you want us to wander all over the place and find the artifacts. He's like, not exactly. I know where the artifacts are. I just can't get to them. They're like, well, it's a little bit better than nothing. Okay. Well, where are they? We'll go and whoop whoever has them and we'll bring them back. Darsh is very unhappy at this point. He's kind of just kicking things. Mercy's looking at him but kind of doing the talking. Which direction are they? Where are they? Who has them? He goes, no one has them. Unfortunately, they're locked away. It was something that was very unforeseen. When you broke that crown, there were three gems on it. And they're like, okay, yeah, we remember the gems. He goes, those gems themselves are very powerful artifacts. And they're part of a set. And when you broke the crown, it unleashed a large amount of the magic that they were using to keep that Minotaur alive which I can confirm, he's dead. For real this time. And he was. I, he goes, but the gem's magic created a pocket in space and time. Much like you'd find in one of your chests of holding you used to have. And the only way to get them out is to gather all the gems even only a few of them were there and pushed them into this void, we need all of them back in order to get the weapons out. All of them are in there. Even the ring, even the mind sword. All of those are trapped inside of this pocket that I can't reach. No living creature can, or did. I need you to gather the gems. Now, they're not here. When the crown broke and the explosion happened, the gems fell through the floor. I mentioned it was a grate. And landed in the battlefield, in the rubble. But I have used every power I have. They're not in this valley. So someone's taken them. But I have no way of tracking them. They are magic outside of my doing. 
unlike the artifacts that I've been watching over since the beginning of this universe, those were not mine. And to be honest with you, we're on different worlds until this happened. And all of them, for some reason, all of them showed up on this world. Three of them were enough to bring Kaboric back from the dead. And that was only a minor touch of what some of these things can do. But I need you to find them all. I will continue to do my best to try to find our friends. And I will help you when I can. But bringing you back from the dead has taken more from me than I thought was possible. I will need time to rest. And I will do my best to find them. And I will reach out to you when I can. But I can't provide you any other help other than to tell you you should probably head southeast. No, southwest. We're a good ways away from it, but there's a settlement there that you might be able to find some help and information. It's many days travel, but it's the closest thing to here. He stands up and even seems a bit shaky. Artemis' first instinct is to reach out to him. She's still a nice person. And try to steady him. He'll say, no. This is important. We need those back. Because he's still out there as well. He was not killed. I don't know if he can be at this point, other than by bringing all the artifacts back together. But I don't think he knows about the gems. That's something that you have a head, head up on him. I only know about how this works from certain contacts that he won't have access to. But it's important that you find them before he figures this out. Because this has never happened before. This is different. And different can be good or bad. So I need you to find them as quickly as you can. I will come to you when I have more information or when I have the power to do so. Darsh throws his hand at the air. He goes, yeah, like I had anything else planned to do. I guess I'll be your errand boy again. He walks up to him and gets right in Zoltan's face. Which, again, Darsh is imposing. Not to a demigod, but to everybody else. And he gets right in his face. He goes, but if any of my friends get hurt over this bullshit, I'll find a way to take you out. And he just turns around and starts walking in the direction. <laughs> that he would suggest southwest. The rest of the group look at him. They turn back and Zoltan's gone. They take a little time to scrounge around to see if they can find anything. They find some bent and old shields that are half covered in dirt. Weapons that were broken or rusty. Nothing of real value. They barely have any clothes on. They find a couple knives or daggers, a broken sword. Things that they can at least use to cut stuff. They find some pieces of the old tapestry that were rotted up. Cut those up to make time to a stick as a bag over your shoulder kind of thing. To at least carry what they can. They don't find much at all. They do find a couple random coins in the castle, which is nice. They've got a, a pocket of maybe eight or ten silver. Comparatively, it's not all silver, but that's the value of it. They're like, it's not a lot, but it might be enough to buy us a meal or a little bit of information. Southwest, I guess it is. And once again, they begin another quest for Zoltan. This time, also hoping to find their missing friends. Because there's a lot of friends out there. Who's missing? There's Fig, of course. There's Zarin. Um, there's also Shadow. And there is Willow. What happened to Moog? Michael? Rafe? 
and his whole clan. There's a lot of people out there. We don't know where any of them are. And he didn't give us any real information other than Kaborik, at least, is gone. But Nilat's still somewhere out there. Uh, negative one level for resurrection. Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. This was also a good opportunity for me to wipe the board. Because by this point, they had gathered up quite a few magical items. Um, and a DM should know how to level things out. It wasn't a, hey, I get to take everything away from you, ha ha. It worked well with the story, but it gave me a way to kind of let them start over again. So that they weren't first level. They're still the levels that they kind of... But they get to kind of rebuild. Um, and kind of gave them a, a goal to do that. So it worked out very well. But they basically start trekking. Now as they're leaving, you know, they're, they're going up the hill. Because again, they're still in the Battle of the Valley. They look down and... The castle, you can see pieces of it. Now that they're further away, they can see it's laying on its side. And it's not directly in the middle. The bottom of it landed in the middle, but it's leaning more towards the um, northwest. So that's the direction it kind of fell. Um, but they can see the rocks around there, and they don't see any bodies. There's no horses. Again, it's been ten months. Uh, they did find some bones of people that probably died under there. Most of them appear to be like goblin. They didn't find anything that looked to be human bones. They found some goblin bones and a this and a that. Um, broken armor, broken gear. Uh, probably found at least one or two corpses of, of horse bones. Uh, but no real human bones. Which is important. But they get out of the valley, and as they're getting up the top of the valley, it's getting night. They're like, okay, we, they use some of the basic stuff they have to start a fire. They find some... They basically just get out some of the grass. It feels very late summer-like to them at this point. But of course... It's impossible to know what season it is because it could be summer here and winter 10 feet over there. That's very challenging for Merv's world because there's no official season unless you're staying in one area. But it's late summer, so it's warm, so they're not like freezing, having next to no clothes on, what they have being rotted. Artemis is still wearing her robes, but it's torn in tatters and stuff. And she being much more modest than Mercy, Mercy helps her tie it off and such as they can. Although the only guy here is Darsh, and Darsh, Darsh isn't trying to get with any of the ladies in this situation. Dandy, worried for their friends, finds herself even more worried about Michael and hoping that he's okay. They uh, start a small fire using some of the dried grass. There's no really trees in this area. And that's one thing. There are no trees in the valley. There's none over the edge of it. There's forest in the distance they can see, but they're like, we're not, that's, that's an hour travel from here because it's, you know... Not an hour, you know, on foot, as slow as they're going. So normally you wouldn't be able to see an hour away, but it is kind of uphill. Although when they do get to the top in the direction they're going, they can see just the bare outline of a mountainous area in that direction. So they rest there that night. Um, they do find some puddles of water that appear to be relatively good. They don't have anything to boil it with, so it doesn't have the best taste, but they don't have much else. They're just basically trying to survive off the land. Um... They're hungry, but they don't really find anything food, so they just try to get through the night best they can. Next morning, they get up. Still nice weather. They continue south. Within an hour, luckily, they come across a small stream. They also come across some basic foods. Berries on bushes, maybe an apple tree, things of that nature, stuff they could live on. They don't really have any tools to catch anything, um, but Dandy did find a knife, and she immediately starts whittling um, like some spears of the branches they find. And, you know, it's better than nothing. Darsh and Mercy are like, yeah, that'll work for us. Darsh has a broken longsword that's 
probably missing about that much from the top, about six inches. Um, not the best, but it still has a bit of an edge to it. So he's using it more for cutting wood and things. Um, but in a, in a pinch with his strength, it probably would still do serious damage to somebody. But making some basic spears with the knife and such, still very helpful to have. Because they try to set some basic snares. And as they're traveling throughout the day, they rest the next evening. They're almost to some woods. They can see them there. As they get into the woods, they rest again. Set some snares, catch a rabbit, start to get a little bit of the basics. Um, so, but again, they just don't have a lot in the way of gear. So they travel like this for several days. And like I said, they get to woods. Once they get to the woods, things get a bit easier because they do find a, several streams. It's definitely an area that's not dried out or anything like that. There's no big rivers, but there's some light streams. The fact that they feel that they're getting closer to the mountains as well could probably come for that. The mountains are high enough that they look snow-capped, so it's very likely water runoff. Uh, that's the source. Um, but again, once you get into the woods, finding things as simple as finding pine cones and getting the nuts out of them, you know, things of that nature. Uh, catch a rabbit here, you know. They're, none of them have enough weapons to really take down anything like a deer, but they come across a turkey or a pheasant. You know, there's some stuff that they can do. Um, and they, they're making their way, but they don't really have any, like I said, they don't find anything that would really replace missing gears or weapon. This goes on for several days till they get out of the edge of the, get out of this wooded section that they're in. And as they come out of the woods, they're a little startled because almost immediately they find themselves on well-cared-for farmland. They're like, oh, okay. Well, we don't really see any buildings from here, but it's a large field. And they're like, okay, they make their way around it because they don't want to go tromping across the, the vegetation that's growing. It looks like corn, I believe it was, if I remember correctly. They're tempted to take some, but they don't want to make anybody angry. Maybe they can buy or trade for some. Um, they come around what would be the edge of it, and they find some posts of basic fencing, wooden, old wooden fencing, and the farm looks relatively well-tended. It's not all weeded up. doesn't look like it's natural-grown, so someone's caring for it. So they keep following the edge of the land until, sure enough, eventually they come to a small group of buildings. And it's easy to see that this farmstead is several families' buildings together, uh, very likely relatives or close friends, but it's several farms' homes together, and they all have their fields around it. In a world of this, that's very good protection. You don't want to just have your house in the middle of nowhere and a bunch of goblins come up. Numbers add safety. So, the, they want to be extra careful. They are actually going against their normal judgment of being sneaky and see what's going on. They make a point of being loud and obvious. Uh, Lex says, I think the group maybe is trapped in the pocket world. Something like that. Well, I guess we'll see, won't we? <laughs> I like that people are trying to figure it out, though. We will see. So... They're making a point of being obvious. They're like, we're not looking to be startling. We don't want to... Darsh is the issue. A minotaur comes tromping up into your house. That could be a problem. Luckily, even though she looks a little worse for wear, Artemis is still obviously a cleric. And that has always been their golden ticket into places, is acting like we're here to protect Artemis. Sorry, my fridge just made a weird noise. <laughs> so they find eventually, because again, they're instead of following along the land, and this was something they thought of, which I was very proud of them, um, instead of following along the field, they actually go away from it and are walking a good distance from it, but parallel with it, hoping 
and as they were successful, they eventually come to what is like a bit of a dirt road that leads into it. They're like, excellent. Coming up from the road is way better than coming out of the fields. And as they're walking towards, towards those houses, they can see some kids playing, some people sitting on the porch. And at first glance at them, you can hear a little bell start being dinging, like a dinner bell kind of thing. And people are coming out and grabbing the kids and rushing into a horse or into houses. And they're going very slow, being careful not to draw any weapons, not that they look that imposing. I mean, Darsh always doesn't. With no weapons, naked, Darsh would be a scary figure. But obviously, they start seeing people coming in out of the fields. And they're armed, you know, normally with what you'd expect a farmer to have. Maybe they have a sword. Maybe somebody, one of them has a sword in case something comes in. The rest of them have their scythes or whatever. But they, they've got some weapons. And the group just kind of stops a ways before getting there and just kind of waits. They're letting all this happen in front of them. They're not trying to come in. They gather up. Clearly, there's some men talking. Older men. There's some younger boys and teenagers and such and stuff as well. But the uh, older men specifically are talking and then one man comes out a ways and starts walking away every so often looking back to the people. And he's like, no, you, you stay there. You, you stay there. I got this. He comes away, he's about 10 or 12 feet from them. He says, greetings, traveler. We don't get many people out this way. As is always the custom for our group, Artemis steps forward. Now, one thing I didn't mention that I apologize, I should have. Is the one thing Artemis did wake up with, she still has her holy medallion. That's kind of a part of her. It's the thing that, it's like her item she uses a lot of times is what her magic is focused through. And she's able to get her spells back, which definitely helps them because over the few days of traveling, healing their little wounds and cuts and scratches and such that are still left over, they're in pretty good health from that. Um, but she's made a point of making sure that it's above her robes so they can see it. And she steps forward. She sees the moment when he realizes very quickly that, A, this is an elf and she's a cleric of healing. She's like, greetings, good sir. My companions and I are just traveling through the area and we've come across your home. We, of course, mean no harm. We're wondering if maybe we could just get some directions, a little bit of information. We are new to these lands and we're not quite sure where we are. The man steps forward immediately and says, my lady, I, I apologize. I didn't realize. Obviously, your bodyguards and you are welcome. Please, please come with, come with us here, please. You know, Artemis always turns back. She's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, okay. So at this point, immediately, same thing. They see Darsh like, ah, this guy's protecting her. That totally makes sense. All right, come on back. So they walk in and he's like, news friends, news friends. A cleric has come. A cleric. And they're like, oh, okay, that's good. And they walk up and they're like, ah, yes. And they immediately, of course, as always happens, somebody's like, you know, I've got a bad back. My knee's been bothering me every time it rains. And they start, Artemis like, yes, I understand. Let me, let me see what's going on. And, and immediately starts using what healing spell she has and on this and that. Oh, you're sick. You need to use this type of root. I don't have any with me, but I can describe it for you. And the other ones just kind of are, are, are you know, while that's going on, the guy comes over and, and is about to and addresses Darsh. And he says, um... You are her guards? And they're like, yes, we're her friends and we protect her, yes, on our travels. Unfortunately, we ran into some trouble um, and 
lost most of our gear. Um, and that's why we're, you can see we look a little worse for wear here. Um, so we're just kind of lost um, and we traveled through a kind of a barren land and just trying to get our bearings. Can you tell us where we are? And he says, well, I can tell you where we were, you know, but in this world, that's hard to tell. We're farmers and we used to belong to a kingdom named Granthel, but it's gone, most of it, just a few of us in a small village continuing south is all that's left of that. Um, but to the south of that, there's all new lands, and over to our west, there's mountains where it used to be water. Um, so it's hard to say where you are. We're just trying to hash out a new living here. And they're like, ah, oh, we understand. Yeah, we've come across a lot of places like that, you know. And they're like, we, uh, we came across a valley several days ago with a bunch of, like, broken buildings on their side. Do you know anything about that? And they're like, oh, yes. Almost a year ago it was. A great battle took up over there. Knights of the Light and Knights of Fire Moon teamed up with a group of little people, and they took on this army of orcs and trolls and goblins and all that kind of stuff. There may have even been some dragons. I heard there were some dragons. I wasn't there, but I heard there was a dragon. But this fight went on, and the battle, and then uh, I believe like Lord Fire Moon uh, caused the castle to explode. It was flying. Did I tell you it was flying? It was flying. Maybe the dragons had it flying. It might have been dragons holding it up, but it fell to the ground and it shattered. And uh, yeah, uh, the, the bad monsters kind of ran away, although I hear that up to the north, there's still some of them living in some woods. Not the woods that you just came through, but they kind of give directions up to the north. There's some of them that still are up there, but they, they've not been coming south at all, really. Um, and then the Knights of Fire Moon, they went home, and the Knights of the Light went back to their keep. And they're like, oh, um, the leaders of those groups. Did everybody make it? He goes, you know, I, I've only heard this story secondhand. Uh, I heard like there were a lot of people who died. Like, oh, you didn't hear anything about like an elf or like an elf druid or a little gnome guy? Like, no, I didn't hear anything about any of those. I just, Knights of the Lights went home and the Knights of Fire Moon went home. And I know that uh, Lord Fire Moon uh, is, got you go home and get with his, and they're like, Lord Fire Moon, he made it okay. Yeah, Lord Fire Moon's fine. He and his Minotaur friend, maybe you know him, uh, one-armed Minotaur, they basically went back and uh, Lord Fire Moon is, as far as I know, is back ruling his kingdom. We heard that. And the friends are like, okay, good. At least someone survived the fall. That means maybe the others did too. That's a good sign. And they're like, well, we're just kind of like I said, passing through. And I guess the village you mentioned would be the next place we would like, we'll have to go. As you can see, like I said, we're almost without anything at this point and we need to see if we can find uh, maybe some assistance. And he's like, well, we can help you. Look, please stay with us this evening. We don't have much, um, but your cleric is already helping our family, and I just saw her, she was just helping my daughter who's had that horrible tooth problem for a week now. Stay with us for the evening. We'd love to have you join us for dinner. It's not the best place, but we've got a dry, warm spot in the barn. Uh, we've got hay in there. You're welcome to stay in there. Um, stay with us for a while, get you good rest, and uh, see if we can help you out a little bit. And, and then tomorrow you can head back to the head to that village. And actually, your lady would probably, maybe that's where she's going to begin with. There is a cleric that lives there. At that sound, Artemis perks up a little bit, and she's, excuse me, folks, yes, I'll see to your knee in just a moment. She comes over here. Yeah, I'm sorry, you said there's a cleric there? Yes, she goes, there's a small temple to the light there, and there's a an older gentleman who's been a cleric there for, for a very long time in our kingdom. Very nice man. A lot of times we go to see him. He's not a cleric of healing like yourself, my lady, but he is a cleric of the light. And so um, 
you know, he's, he's, he also gives the, on special holidays, he's the one that gives the sermons and he usually marries everybody. He's a very nice older gentleman. Maybe, maybe he can help you. And Artemis is like, yes, we will definitely seek him out because clerics of good normally going to help other clerics. At least with information, that's someone that they'd be a little bit easier to trust with more of the real story. And they're like, he's like, oh, excellent. And they're like, yes, we would, we would love to stay for this evening. Mostly because at this point, Darsh is already smelling food. He's like, yeah, we, we'll, we'll stay. Um, you, you sure you've got enough food for it? Like, oh, we'll make a feast. It's, we never get visitors, but someone as esteemed as yourselves, this is a, this is a situation to celebrate. Come on in. Yeah. And they, they bring him in and the kids come out and Dandy just starts, is, they love Dandy because Dandy's small and they're kids. And she starts immediately like talking about, and they're like, oh, you want to see my toy? She's like, yes. You want to see this feather I found? Because immediately, Immediately, Dandy starts picking up things in the woods. She found a bird skull, and she found some feathers, and she found a real shiny rock next to a stream, and she found a piece of cork, and, you know, her little bag and her little bag of torn up stuff. But the party stays there. That, oh, uh, Neon says, I definitely can see clerics whipping out mead and complaining about people they meet. <laughs> Very true. And there's, you're going to see some consistencies starting with this next town specifically. I'm really excited with it because we're going to find something that I'm going to that's going to happen that you're going to have no idea is important until later. But we'll get there. So they uh, they they eat with everyone and they literally a feast is up and there's people who are playing music and Dandy's dancing with the kids and such. Well, Mercy and Artemis and Darsh are talking with the folks about what's been going on, learning a little bit about the political situation and they've learned that other than that little village to the south, there's a great distance to travel, several weeks, but they'll eventually get to a city. And it's a huge city named Paxawall. That's P-A-X-A-W-A-L-L. Now, I have to preface this by saying that I get very commonly made fun of because I like to use dashes and... Um, oh, what's the word? The um, can't for contraction, the little symbol. I'm forgetting the, the grammatic thing, but I like to use words with that in it. So like um, Dion, it'll be D-E... Dash on, you know what I mean. I like to. I have a lot of names that are like that. Then I have names that are like Michael. So I like to show that things are coming from different worlds. So if you're ever asking me apostrophe, thank you, Neon. Yes, apostrophes. I use apostrophes a lot, and part of that is my way of saying these group of people are from a land that is different. And these people are Mike and John, and this one is Moana or whatever the case may be, with an apostrophe and a dash in it. So um, I try to bring a lot of different ways of writing words to different people to show the diversity of the world that they're on. So I do get teased because I use those symbols a lot in my words. But Paxawal has a dash in it. And like Paxawal was, from what I've heard, says says uh, the, the the head guy, whose name is Clarence. For the record, his name was Clarence. But he was the head of the, of the uh, he goes, he's the older guy, the father figure. Not the oldest one, but he's kind of head of their community. And he goes, yeah, Paxawal, I guess, was a major farming kingdom. Um, as well, you know, dealt with farming and lumber. But after the Great Merge, they found themselves missing a part of their city and on the edge of a great ocean. Um, so they've been turning into a fishing and trade city. Um, it's very large. And I know that I've been told that there's a great tower of mages there. And there's also a great temple to the gods of good there. Like a huge temple. I, we've never been there ourselves. It's a great travel. Um, we normally just take our stuff to market. There's a couple other villages in different directions, but heading south towards Paxawal, some of our goods probably go through there, but we sell them to like middlemen in town, and then those caravans kind of take them to Paxawal. So that's where our crops really go, where we make our coins on the harvest. Um, but uh, definitely, Lady Artemis, if you're looking to go south to Paxawal, 
there are many, many clerics there of, of your your of your kind as well as many of the others. So definitely, maybe you could find some help there. And they talk late in the night, find out, okay, Paxawal's there. They also find that the mountains that they've been seeing run all the way down to the ocean. So really travel to the east or west is very difficult unless you go real north and around, which is months travel, or you take ships over. And supposedly there's another kingdom to the west on the other side of the mountains, although Clarence doesn't know much about it at all, just hasn't affected him. The merge happened at this point almost two years ago. Simple farming folk. They're just trying to rebuild their lives where they are. He says that far, far to the east along that same ocean is the kingdom of Arduel. Now that's where our friends met Prince Christopher, where they got their first artifact, where they found their chest of holding. Um, and supposedly there's talks between Paxawal and Arduel of trade agreements because while they're a big distance, it's not that bad when you do the water. They can just take ships there. Um, and then the Kingdom of Fire Moon, of course, is far to the northeast of that. Um, I don't, he goes, I don't know much about them other than I hear he's like a great king and that his people love him and they're glad that he's home. So they get all this information and the basic stuff and the group at the end of the evening go into sleep in the barn, but they spend some time talking and trying to make plans. And they're like, okay, well, definitely Paxwell needs to be our end goal here because we need help. We have nothing. We might be able to get a little bit of help from the temple in this little village, but if we can get there, if this is a temple the size he's saying, there's going to be some high priests there. And the high priests are powers well beyond anything that I have. Um, they're also going to have a lot of information and knowledge of the area, much more than we do, um, and we may be able to get some serious assistance there. They may know something that happened to our friends. They may know what happened to Nylat. They're definitely going to know what's happened more with Firemoon in the kingdom. We'll learn about that. But more importantly, we might find out something about the gems. So that, that's where we, I think we need to go. As for the mage tower, if Zarin made it out and he finds there's a mage tower, he would have made a beeline to there. Because from what we know of Zarin, with his family, they were merchant mages, so um, they would have definitely affiliated themselves if they could. That would be a way for him to try to get back with his people. So it's possible our friends would have made their way there too. These people never came across our friends, but they may have taken a different trek, and it was a long time ago, 10 months at this point. So they may already be there. So they have a plan now. They're like, okay, cool. We're going to go to this village. We're going to talk to this cleric of the light, see if he can give us any more information, and then we're going to have to travel the long distance to Paxwell. Maybe we can hook on with a, a caravan or something, because we heard about that. That's how we got together to begin with. Maybe we can help protect the caravan, make some coin, and find some safe passage down to Paxwell. The party now, a lot happier about their situation, because like the first time, they have the first full bellies in almost a year. Um, but they actually get to sleep on some comfortable hay. And they've had some actual interaction with people, relatively peaceful. That's, that means a lot to Dandy and Artemis specifically. Uh, Mercy and Darsh are fine without talking to people. They're happen half the time they just look at each other and grunt and nod and they know what the other one's talking about because they're both just warriors at heart. And there's a big, strong respect between those two. Um, but they're like, okay, we have information. Now we have a plan. We feel better knowing at least something that we're looking for. So they go to sleep that night and they rest. The next morning they get up, they go to leave. And they're told, hey, we got a breakfast. Come over here. They have a nice meal with the people. And they provide them each with a very rudimentary backpack that they, that they homemade, obviously. Um, they were able to make them some basic... They had some basic clothing for everyone except Darsh. Um, some of the kids' clothing would fit perfectly well on Dandy. Um, the shirts 
and clothing they had. Artemis was more under... She's still wearing her robes, which are kind of tattered, uh, but she had some underclothing she could put under there so she doesn't feel quite as revealed there, at least for warmer weather. And for Darsh, there wasn't much at all. So really what Darsh is doing at this point is Darsh is going loincloth. That's how Darsh rolls when he doesn't have gear because he's like... I mean, he grew up fighting in gladiator arenas and such. That's nothing to him to walk very free to the wind, if you will. Um, so he does get some cloth from them, and he's able to wear something. He wears it almost more like a kilt, if you will, with a loincloth under it. Uh, he's very kilt-weary from this point on. You'll see Darsh in a kilt a lot. So they do that. They also provide them with some very basic gear. They provide both Darsh and Mercy with a short sword. It's an adequate short sword, it's good quality, a little old, definitely needs sharpened, but they're given some whetstone, some basic things that they might need of that nature, given some food for the road, um, and they even give them a few coins. And they weren't going to take that, and they're like, no, lady, we pass this to you. We haven't gotten to town to give to the church in a while. We will, this is Giving it to you is, in our minds, the same as giving it to the church. If you can use it to help make the world better, you know, you're out there spreading your magic and healing and all that kind of stuff. Tithing to you to us is the same as tithing to the church. So please take these coins and uh, just say a blessing for us. And they're like, okay, we appreciate that. Uh, Nia says, he's got to free the beast, let the air out, you know. <laughs> that is accurate. Uh, the things that we roll for when we create characters sometimes. Um, talk about that later. But yes, so they're like, excellent. We've got an idea. We've got a thing to do. They got some basic gear. Uh, they give Dandy and Artemis, or give Dandy a knife. Artemis, basically, she they give her just an old walking staff that one of the guys used for a while. It's like a quarterstaff, because she's always been a quarterstaff person anyways. So when it comes down to it, she's pretty set with the weapon. And uh, Dandy's got a couple daggers, plus that one that she found. So now she's got three daggers. Um, she doesn't have a hoop pack yet, because she has to make that. And she's been looking and hasn't found the right wood for it yet. She can make a hoop pack, but it takes a while, because they're handmade. Um, but she was able to get a little leather and stuff for a regular sling, which she can use okay. And she'll be able to use the parts of that for her hoop pack when she makes one. Because she, of course, does make one. The only thing she doesn't have is the little metal spike for the bottom of it that would normally go on the bottom. Everything else she can make it pretty much out of wood. But everybody has some basic gear. They got some basic tools. They give them a whetstone. They give them a couple, um, you know, flasks they can put water in. You know, like leather flasks made from sheepskin or whatever. Um, some basic stuff and some food for the road. So they're very thankful to the group. Thank you very much, family of farmers. We appreciate all the help. We will definitely say prayers for you. And they all say a prayer together before they leave. And everybody in the town, that's big business for them because this is a cleric. Not only that, it's an elf cleric. And they've never seen an elf cleric. That in itself is pretty rare. You know, because elves aren't wandering around all the time. So like, oh, this is pretty awesome. Today we got to see a kender. And luckily, she didn't steal hardly any of our stuff. She did take some things, but most of it was of non-value. And of course, we got to meet a warrior lady and a warrior minotaur. And they were really buff and scary. So this has been a very exciting event for this little town. Something they will speak of for years. The party moves on and they head south. And they travel for uh, almost a day. Because they're on foot. They don't have spare horses, so they're still on foot. And even if they did, most horses won't be able to carry Darsh anyways. Darsh needs a special horse. But they travel and near the end of the next day, they they come across this town. And the town's actually a little bigger than they expected. There's several businesses here. There's an inn. Um, and I guess this town originally was at a crossroads. But now, the east to west road is pretty much dead because there's no real settlements to the east or west. It's just north and south. But when it was a crossroads, it was even more popular. But now there's, I guess, multiple farming communities up here that the party finds. And so that's where a lot of people bring it to here. And Paxawal and certain other cities will come here, buy their goods, and then transport them down to Paxawal, where the Paxawal will use some of it or potentially even ship it to the other kingdoms and try to sell. 
because um, they were always farmers in Paxiwal originally, but now they're mixing uh, that with ocean stuff, like fishing and trade of that nature. This is important because this is an area we're going to be in for a while. So I'm going into a lot more detail with the actual geography because this stuff becomes way more important in the story part that we're in now. Before they were just randomly traveling around the world trying to find artifacts, these lands are going to be important for a very long time. So they're traveling and they make it to the village that evening. Um, they're invited to the inn. Of course, again, as soon as people see Artemis, they're a little worried about Darsh, but Artemis is their golden ticket. Like, sweet, Artemis is here. And she's like, we would love to, but we're looking for the, the temple. Is there a temple here? And they're like, oh, yes. And people on the street are like, of course, yes. It's down that road, hang a left, go around past the blacksmith. There's a temple just on the edge of town. And like, yes, our, the cleric of the town lives there. Like, very cool. So they travel around town and they get to this place and they knock on the door. Now, Everybody knows to stand back and let Artemis be the one at the door. Door knocks and they go, hold on, I'll be right there. And they hear a voice and it's definitely of an older gentleman. And the temple's a small temple, but you know, it's, it's, it's definitely the room of like a four, six room building. Like it's probably a mini library in there, a couple little bedrooms. Even though this guy supposedly lives alone, it was big enough to hold several at least at some point. Comfortably. Knock on the door, he opens it up, and he doesn't even have his robes on. He's got his holy symbol, he doesn't have a shirt on. He's got some stuff that clearly looked like he was brushing his teeth or eating or something. He's got something around his mouth. And he's like, yeah, what can I... And he just stops. And the spoon that's in his hand hits the ground. Oh, my goodness, my lady. I am, I am so sorry. I didn't realize it was... If, you'll just, if you couldn't mind... One second, please. And he, he, and he closes the door, and Artemis is like, Okay. And you hear stumbling, and then it sounds like somebody trips over a table and hits the ground, and you hear some foofing, what sounds like curtains, and then the door opens up again, and he's tying on his robe of his actual, of the light. Because <laughs> that's a, a, it's a whitish color, it's clear to the light. Artemis wears blue. And so, he's like, my lady, I just, I'm honored that you would even be here. I, we don't have travels very often, but please, and, oh, you have big friends. Oh, you have friends. Oh, please, all of you, come inside. Sir, will you fit through the... You will. Okay, please come on inside. They get ushered inside. Now, it's a homey little place. Like I said, clearly this front room they come into is like a small church, you will. It's got some pews and such. At the end of it is a temple with the symbol of the God of the Light. But there's a, a circle of stone around it, and in that are the carving of the symbols of the other gods of good. So this is a temple that is clearly dedicated to good. Now, sometimes you'll find a temple that's dedicated to neutral or evil, and some of the neutral ones will have all the gods. And a lot of times, those um, the symbols they use are like almost like Olympic rings, but just three of them. There'll be a ring, a ring, joined by a third one. So it's good, evil, neutral, linked. So that's a very common theme on many of the worlds. Some worlds are different, but many of the worlds you're going to find them. This one, the ring is purely for good. Doesn't mean that they would turn away anyone else, but the temple has been dedicated to that. And the one in the center is the light. So this is a temple of the light, but it honors these other gods. Um, that's kind of how the, the cleric hierarchy works in Merged World, in majority of the areas. So they're invited in, and he's like, I was just, I just made a stew. I have enough. Would you like some stew? And they're like, no, we couldn't. Darsh is like, yes, we would love some stew. <laughs> Lex is like the guy, watch out for the chandelier. <laughs> Very much so. There's, he's lighting some candles. He's like, please, if you'd have a seat here, and I don't really have but a small table here, but if you'll hang out here, I will get you. So I have some bread and some stew if you'll hang out a minute. And he stumbles off, and Arm's like, we shouldn't eat his food. Darsh goes, I'm hungry. I've walked all day, and I can smell it, and it smells very good. Darshan eating becomes a very common theme. You're going to see this a lot. He's like, I'm hungry, and he offered it. 
I, it would be rude of me not to take his food. I'm just doing honor to the gods here. Artemis just shakes her head and Dandy's just giggling. He's like, you, you be quiet. You're hungry too. He's like, I didn't say I wasn't hungry. He comes in with some bowls and you can see that he has some, some utensils that are of silver and dusty. And he's trying to wipe them off with it. Please, like the, obviously these are the good dishes that he, you don't take out but special occasions or things. And he obviously doesn't have a lot of clerics come by. And he's like, it's honestly, it's been almost a year since another cleric's even been in town. My lady, a cleric of healing, Tavian and his people are all, Tavians are God. Tavian and his holy are always welcome here with to share in, share in the light and, and, and your friends as well. Please, how can I have, how can I have help you? What brought you here? And you can tell he's very nervous. He doesn't get a lot of visitors. Um, he's used to being a relatively important guy, not in an egotistical way, but it's kind of the, I take care of the stuff they need, so we really didn't need any other clerics here, you know? Um, but I'm still honored that you're here. And she says, they go, they kind of cover the same type of story that they gave before. Because even though they trust him, he's a cleric of the light, you still got to be careful. And so they cover the same story. We were traveling, came into some troubles that we don't talk about, but we lost most of our gear. Luckily, we ran into this farm, folks. You've heard of them. Yes, you're familiar with the family. They were very nice. They gave us some basics. They suggested that we come here. Maybe you could give us assistance. We are traveling to Paxawal, which we're told is a great distance from here. And we're wondering if maybe you could give us some information and such. And he's like, of course, I can definitely offers them a place to stay for the night. He starts and gives them more of the political setup. And he definitely goes into more detail about the, the church. He goes, since merge has happened, I have been to Paxawal once. Once I learned that there was a temple there, I felt that as the only cleric of this area, I should at least go down and make them aware that I am there and see what, what they felt to affiliate myself. He goes, so I went to the great temple. And it's it's by far the fanciest temple I've ever been to. It's a huge temple. Um, and it's obviously for clerics of light and neutral are welcome there as well. I did not see many clerics of the dark, but they were very welcoming. I, I don't know if they'd be allowed there or not, but they were, it's huge and it's run by a cleric of the light. And he says that kind of a little bit of a cleric of light is the head cleric there, but there's also um, a high cleric of Tavian and some other high clerics there. So there's, there's a lot of clerics there. And Artemis like, that's good. A high cleric, well above herself, definitely have some information. And they're like, yes, we're looking for some people. And they're a little bit more loose. Have you seen? And they describe their friends. Have you heard Michael? Or have you seen anything about Zarin? And he's like, no, I haven't heard. None of them have passed through, at least that I've seen or that spoke to me. Um, an elven druid I, with whitey silver hair, I would have picked up on that. Or a, another elf with black hair, a ranger, I would have picked up on that. But uh, none of them have come through, that, at least that I'm aware of. But not everyone stops by here. And, you know, unless it's something important that I need to be involved in. I don't go out to town other than to shop and occasionally get a drink at the inn because they have some pretty good wine they get from... Oh, you don't want to hear about the wine? Okay, well, they have some good wine. In case you want to stop... Darsh goes, I want to hear about the wine and Mercy elbows them. Not now. So he's like, okay, well, all right. He goes, if you would like to, I have rooms here. We do keep them clean in case. Just They're, they're not dusty and dirty. I, I know it doesn't look well kept around here, but they are kept well just in case. And sometimes if there's ever a problem and you know, someone needs a place to stay... Somebody's house catch I keep it ready. So I have rooms you can stay in if you'd like to spend the night here. Artemis like, are you sure? He goes, of course, yes, please. I, I would be dishonoring the church if I didn't have you stay here. So they agree. They eat their stew. They chat a bit more. And they go to bed. They get some rest. After chatting a little bit themselves. So the next morning they wake up. And they can smell... Darsh immediately is the first one out there. He's like, I smell something, something. You're cooking something. And 
He's like, yes, yes. Clerk Williams like, come in here. Yes, I've got food. I've got this. And he, this is a porridge that I made. And it's this. And I've got some uh, warm bread and some cheese that I, I went out this morning early. And I got some stuff at market. And Darcy's like, hey, you know how to treat people. I'm okay with that. And he sits down and he starts eating. Everybody else comes wandering in. And, and they come in and they're kind of sleepy-eyed. And they're like, good morning. And Darcy's sitting there like, hmm? And he's just got like gruel all around in his hair and his mouth. That's a very common thing for Darcy. In the middle of a situation, they're like, Darcy, like, hmm? And you just have food all around his mouth. And they shake their head and they sit down. And they're like, okay. Thank you for the breakfast. And they eat a meal. And William's acting slightly different. And they, they pick up on it. And they're looking at each other. And he seems a little nervous this morning. Artemis decides to call. He goes, my friend, you seem on edge today. Is everything okay? Yeah, um, everything's fine. I just, uh, I, I wanted to, I just wanted to kind of ask... You, uh, there was a thing I wanted to... There's this... And they're like... She's like, my friend, please. You've been nothing but courteous. Please ask your question. We won't be we won't be insulted. He goes, no, I, it's not that. Um, are you in a hurry to get to Paxawal? Kind of surprised by the question. They're like, um, no, not per se. I mean, we're trying to get there for these things and we'd like to make time, but there's not. we're not on a timetable that we're aware of. He's like, okay, um... The reason I ask, um, and again, I don't want to impose, but not far from here, about a half day's travel to the west, halfway between here and the mountains, there's a door. And they're looking at him like, okay, there's a door. Please let me. Yeah, it's, it's been there a really long time. Um, and if you go in the door, which I want to let you know, I've been trying to do for a long time and it took me five years to get the door open. But when you open the door, it goes down into a dark area where there's another door. You're like, door with a door. Yes. Sounds exciting. And he's like, well, I can't get the second one open. Um, I've been researching it. I've been researching it most of my life. That's what brought me here. Um, the door, it, it's symbol of some type of battle. Everything that I'm, I'm finding is saying that there's a holy artifact in there. I don't know what kind, but it's supposedly a holy artifact of the light. I've been searching for it my whole life. First time in my life, then I found the room, and I just can't get past the second door. Um, you and your friends might have a bit more luck. And with that, he kind of is eyeing Dandy a little bit. Because Kendra are known as lockpickers. And they understand what he's saying. We're like, well, I mean, you've been going a long time. I mean, I don't know if we'd be helpful. He goes, it's an artifact of great value. And if I could get it, and I could present it to Paxawal, my quest, what I've been trying to do for many years, would be complete. I'm not trying to be rich. I'm not trying to be famous. If you could get it, and then take it to Paxawal, and us together had found it, that would do a lot for me in the standings of the church, as well as, you know, kind of be this goal I've been working on a long time. And they're like, okay, I mean, possibly. And he goes, and I'm sure if it's as powerful an artifact as I think it is, from all my research, delivering that to them would definitely make an impression on the church for you as well. And they're like, ah, I see. Well, that's probably true. 
And they get, and like, we, could we have a moment to speak? And he's like, yes, please. And he excuses himself and takes some of their dishes and mumbles off in there. And they're like, well, he's not wrong. We don't have much to offer. And we're going to go in asking them to help us. Bringing something that would be important of a holy artifact of the light to a temple that's primarily run by a cleric of the light definitely wouldn't hurt our chances. But we don't really have much gear I mean, we don't even know what's in there. He goes, eh, for all we know, if it's locked behind a door, if we get in there, we can unlock the door. No big deal. If we can, maybe we can get this thing and, and take it out. The, the guy's not wrong. So after talking about it, they decide, okay, I think that, that that's not a bad idea. William come back in like, yes, we'll need to know everything you know about it. And he's like, Dad, I am about to overload you on information. And he explains that supposedly a king had been buried there. He was a protector of the light. He was a holy paladin, and he led his people for many, many years. But when he fell, the symbol of his kingdom and that which he'd fought to protect was buried with him and locked behind a wall that only the worthy could get through. And at this, he seems a little sad, because you can clearly say, I, I thought I was worthy, but I guess not. He's like, but with your help, and you, Elven Cleric of Healing, that's, that's pretty cool. And you've got some really strong friends, and you've got a friend that might help you with the doors. If... You could help us. That would be great. So they agree to take this on. He's like, I'm going to give you some basic supplies. And he gives them more food, gives them, definitely helps arrange them some better clothing and stuff. He, they even have some robes. They're not as fancy as Artemis's were, but they're still the blue robes of her order. And she's very happy to have them. They fit pretty well. They're more human size, so a little baggy in the shoulder. But she, she takes those, thankfully, and everybody gets some basic clothing. And he even helps them with a little bit of coin that they combine with their coin. And they're able to go into the town and buy some basic stuff as well. And Darsh is able to get, and Mercy both get a shield. They get some scabbards for the swords they were given, because they were given swords that did not have scabbards. Some basic daggers, some basic gear that they might need. And they're like, okay, we're going to spend one more day here. We'll spend a night at the little temple. Then we'll go make our way to this little thing and see if we can get a holy artifact that's kind of hopefully our ticket into the temple in Paxiwal. Now, while they're out in the shopping in the little area there, a little market, if you will, as they're walking, Dandy's like, hey, Artemis, yeah, what do you think of this watermelon over here? She's like, what watermelon? She leans to look, and Dandy goes, we're being followed. And Artemis stands up, and she's like, I like that watermelon. That's really nice. Maybe we should buy that to take back to the temple later. Yeah, we'll have to come back and look at that. Artemis casually gets the message to everyone else, and as they're walking around, they decide to go around behind a building. They all carry, except for Mercy, who tucks in and hides in behind or around a corner. And the other ones kind of bumble off. A couple seconds later, she hears footsteps, and she quickly reaches out and yanks and throws the person up against the wall. Very quickly realizing that the young boy is unarmed. He's a young man, probably no more than 15 or 16. And very quickly she recognizes them as one of the young boys who is at the farming community that they came across first. He was a quiet type, didn't talk to them much, but he was there and friendly when he had to be, but didn't talk much. And she's like, you need to tell me why you're following me right now before I have to make this rough on you. He's like, I meant no, I meant no harm, lady, please, no. And he introduces himself as Tevin. Give me one moment here. I gotta grab a specific page. Make sure I have all the right stuff here. 
second. There it is. Excellent. Okay. So I had to make sure I had something correct here before I mess with anything. So they said, he goes, my name is Tevin. And I was, I was wondering if you could help me. By this point, everybody else has come back over and Artemis has convinced Mercy to remove her arm from his throat so he can breathe a little easier. And he's like, I'm sorry I followed you. I, I meant no disrespect. I, I've wanted to go to Pax Wall for years. I want to be a wizard. And I've been practicing. My cousin was a wizard many years ago. And he went out into the world and came back. And he passed away. But I have his spell book. And I've been, I, I, I got to learn a little bit in town. But when my parents found out, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me. Because they said that they didn't want me to go off and die like my cousin. But... You know, he was older than me. He's like a second cousin and such. And he was, I'm, I'm way better than that. I really think I have a knack and I want to, I want to go to Paxawal and put myself into and, and, and offer my services and try to become an apprentice. I was just wondering if I could travel with you. And they're like, ah, no, sorry. We appreciate the offer. You seem like a really nice kid. Your family's probably right. You haven't had any real formal training and where we're going and what we're doing, it's just not going to be safe for you. It would be best if you return to your family. I'm sorry. If you want to work it out with them, if you want to go to Paxwell, maybe get with a caravan, we're not the group you should be traveling with. For your own safety. We have a habit of getting mixed up in things that wouldn't be safe for you. And it's probably best you don't. The boy's obviously downtrodden. He's upset about it. He's like, I, I, I appreciate that you at least let, let me speak my mind. Thank you very much. And Tevin wanders back off. Party finishes their shopping, goes back to the temple, spends another evening hanging out with William. And the next morning, they're going to go off to this door that leads to a door that William has been trying to open for approximately 35 years. What do you think that they have better luck? Well, that we're going to find out next time, because that's where we're going to stop for today. So, brief recap. Party's... Half the party's back alive, looking for the other half, trying to find some magical stones, which we're going to find out more about a little bit later. And they're on a quest to Paxwall, but before they do, they're going to make a pit stop to try to find a holy artifact that might be their key to getting some help at the big temple in Paxwall. Paxwall being a very center area we're going to be dealing with for a while. This is a good place to stop, because the next part is the next little bit of an adventure where they're going to jump in and deal with the door to the door. But... I would like to ask, I did cover a whole lot of stuff today. Does anyone have any questions about anything that we've covered today or covered previously? If you are watching this later, feel free to throw them down in the comments as well. I'll do my best to get back with you. If you're listening to this on iTunes or as an audio podcast, uh, please feel free to go to OnlyDraven.com. And again, on the very bottom of the homepage is a place that you can submit questions or feedback or anything um, directly via email. And I'll do my best to get back with you as quickly as I can. It's OnlyDraven.com. Uh, Teresa says, I enjoyed the first full story. I only listened for a few minutes last time. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. Well, I'm glad that you stopped by. Um, like I said, this, now, now we're getting into the end game. You know, it's, uh, this next section is long, but it is much more fleshed out. And we're almost to the point where I'm going to have some actual serious notes. Because we're almost to the point where I lost everything. Um, I have a lot of information on Paxwall and the city we're going to be dealing with, people of importance. Um, but actual notes that I read to the characters and such, um, 
within the next few episodes will be a point where I'm actually going to be reading to you the same stuff that I read to them. And as we progress in the story, we're getting more recent to the stuff. So there's definitely going to be more detail, more conversations like we had with William and the townsfolk. We'll definitely be flushing the story out a bit more uh, because a lot of the characters we introduce um, may be important later. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to get into this phase of the story with you uh, and share all of this. Um, again, if you're watching for the first time or listening in, if you don't mind, hit that like button if you enjoy the story. And more importantly, hit subscribe. Or you can go to iTunes and do a search for Merged Worlds. That's all one word, M-E-R-G-E-D-W-O-R-L-D-S. And you'll pull up the audio podcast. It's a free audio version. The uh, This episode will be out within 24 hours. I try to get them up that quickly. Um, again, you can go to OnlyDraven.com and you can see uh, links to all these as well. Plus, you're also able to get a hold of the pictures of some of the characters we've talked about today. If you're unfamiliar with what they look like, you can go there. You'll see some of the actors and such. And I'll be adding more to those very soon over the next couple weeks as more important characters for the long term are going to be introduced. Um... But yeah, I think that's a good save. We've been going for about two hours and 15 minutes. I don't want to go too long. Um, so we're two weeks from now. We'll jump in and we will do the next episode. Uh, tomorrow will be a Jackbox stream. Uh, we're going to stream for several hours playing some Jackbox games with the community. So uh, we'd love to have you come by. Uh, we'll start at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we will stream probably for about three hours of different Jackbox games. So we'd love to have you there for that. Uh, Lex says, can't wait for the Stanley NPC cameo. That's going to be a while because we'll have to get to the to the part that I can write that in, because that would be funny. You know, to be honest with you, for those of you who've been here from the beginning, Stan Lee would have been an excellent Sir Nyklos. Something to think about. But, if you don't know who that is, you definitely need to go back and listen to some of the first episodes, because Sir Nyklos is hilarious. All right, I'm going to call it at that. Again, thank you everyone for hanging out. If you'd like to talk more about Merge Worlds, you can join our Discord. If you go to OnlyDraven.com, there's a button right up top. There's also a link in the description of this video. Go to there and you can click on our Discord. There's Merge Worlds stuff we can talk about in there. There's threads dedicated for that. There's also a subreddit on Reddit for Merge World. Definitely go there, throw questions. If you want to draw a character, I had somebody ask if it'd be okay if they draw what they thought a character would look like. I would love that. It would be awesome. So definitely you can uh, submit that on Discord or you can put it in the uh, subreddit. Love to see some of that art for the folks who are into that kind of stuff. But I'm going to call that for a day. Thank you all very much for coming and hanging out with me today and listening to my story. It means a lot to me. Uh, thank you again, especially to my members uh, who are part of the membership program. And as always, to my moderators, Neon and Gus. I appreciate you guys helping me hold the fort down and get this all out. But we're going to call that for a day. So thank you all again very much for hanging out today. I hope you all have yourselves a wonderful evening. Thanks for coming by.